is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA. Certainly through. Oh, it's incredible. You could not write a script like this. For the fourth time, the United States of America are crown champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. With international soccer wrapping up, we turn our focus back to the leagues, transfer window coming to a close, tons of exciting moves, and then the all-important question of is how will the Premier League shake out? Welcome back to FUVFC. Today is Wednesday, February 9th. Gina Troy here, joined alongside James Burley, and then, of course, our foreign correspondent, Michael Hernandez, doing time over in the U.K. for us. Well, not for us, but might as well be for us with all the soccer he's been watching. Before we dive into all the stuff that's happening now that the international break has concluded, gentlemen, how are we? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, uh, loved part of what I saw from the international window. I'm excited to talk more about some club soccer. Um, always a great time talking with you guys. Uh, same here. Yeah, yeah. I'm just happy to be on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, you know, I'm just happy to be here, and I'm happy that I'm able to watch so many games on the other side of the pond. Yeah, Michael, we're definitely jealous. Even though as a Liverpool fan, you are donning a City kit, so. Maybe there's something. I am, yeah, yeah. They are playing right now, and uh, uh, right now I'm trying to get each of the big six just because I'm going to their stadiums. So it's kind of like, so I don't get uh, in trouble with the home fans. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're going to the big six, everything yeah. except for the Liverpool kick can just go straight into a dumpster fire. That being trust so- me, what when I get back to the U.S., all of these are are, are going straight in the trash. It's just for now. Just some phony allegiances. That all being said, I think it's time we dive into the transfer window. You know, I always think that it occurs at such a great time for all se- for all leagues across Europe, just because, you know, we see it in every sport in the United States that there's free agency and then the free agency ends and trade deadlines end. And the transfer window is more of the same where – you know, teams can reassess what they need going into the final half of their season. And for some, it means adding tools that'll help you win. And for others, it means getting rid of assets because, you know, you can find money for them elsewhere and you realize you're not in the top of the race. I personally, gentlemen, I want to start with Barcelona because we saw them beat Atletico Madrid. I would say a statement win for Xavi's new side, especially with the introduction of Adama Traore in that team. I also have Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang joining Barcelona as well. I saw both these moves as a transition period for Barcelona because, you know, we grew up watching Messi, Ronaldinho, you know, all these Neymar, all these maestros on the ball, just to name a few. And then you pick up a guy like Traore who does have foot skills, but he's just brute strength. 
running down the wing. And then you pick up a Bumyang who, you know, has technical ability, but really makes his mark as just a clinical finisher. You know, at least in days of old, he kind of struggled in his end of his tenure at Arsenal. But I think both those signings were key for Barcelona. I don't think they're long-term fixes, but I think it was necessary for Xavi to go out and get experienced players to help guide this younger team towards winning football. You know, that team does have, you know, tremendous leaders on that team, but none of them are going forward. So I really think that this move to go get a Bumyang and Traore, you know, Adama obviously playing for Wolves for quite some time in the Premier League. He knows how to win football matches and, you know, his assets are very clear to see on paper. And then a Bumyang, you bring in his experience from times with Dortmund into a time with Arsenal, you know, being competitive in a top four race. I really like both signings. And I, I think the question then becomes is, how long is Xavi going to let these guys run for Barcelona before their time has elapsed? I think, you know, Traore had that assist against Atleti, so an instant impact. My main concern is with Aubameyang because we saw his form continue to, you know, slide towards his last couple of months at Arsenal. So when I saw those guys pick up, I thought, okay, great, immediate impact. I just didn't know, you know, you're taking some money with both those signings for a club that is as broke as Barcelona. How long can we expect those two investments to pay off? Well, I think with a player like Aubameyang, you know, age also becomes a factor. Um, he's, you know, into his 30s now, and he spent quite a bit of time at both Dortmund and then Arsenal. And for a while there, he was just so lethal. And, yeah, lately started to be on the decline, uh, especially with his last couple years at Arsenal. And um, I think it's just strange that, Xavi is the manager to have taken this approach with Barca, the most perhaps technical player of all time. You know, when you think of technique and you think of, you know, um, just the ability on the ball, Xavi might be one of the first names to pop to your head. And here he goes out and gets, you know, a finisher first striker like Aubameyang and just an absolute, uh, you know, unit in Atama Traore. Uh, but, you know, it paid off in, on Sunday in that uh, really, really scrappy 4-2 win against Atletico. Uh, Danny Alves picked up a red card in that one. Um, so it's definitely a temporary fix. I mean, Troyori is only on loan. We'll see if that becomes something permanent should, you know, he ball out for the next few months. Uh, I don't see either of them staying for more than another year, even if Troyori, you know, bags 10 goals, 10 assists in the next few matches. It, it can't be that much of a fix. And we still don't know what Barcelona financially is going to look like. Uh, at the end of this season, are they still going to be in ruins? Are they going to be able to afford anybody? Uh, that's something that they're going to have to figure out. And, you know, I'll just be eating popcorn watching to see if there's any more drama like last summer with Messi and all that. But yeah, it seems, it seems very temporary. Um, but I do, I do think there's some excitement coming out of Barca for the first time in a long time. I completely agree with that. Uh, I would say that Aubameyang, you know, I would be shocked if he makes it past 18 months, so at the end of 2023. But um, I believe Adama, even though it is just a loan, Barcelona have already um, said that they will, you know, uh, do the buy clause. And I believe he's already accepted like a five-year contract. So it seems like at least Adama will be a mainstay for a couple of years. But um, <clears throat> sorry. But I, I would say that, yeah, it was, it, it was kind of weird to see Xavi go for this type of move but it's definitely helping out in the short term because right now their main goal should be getting back into the Champions League and someone like Aubameyang, you know, and you have Traore who in 20 minutes did more uh, for Barcelona than he did for Wolves all seasons. A fact that Alex Wolves will probably hate, but that's the way it is. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, I would say that also in terms of financially, um, I, I remember hearing that Adama might have gone to uh, to Tottenham, but he turned down that ridiculous wage, and and he actually uh, he actually did a lower wage as did Aubameyang to to join Barcelona. So I'm not, I mean, I am still slightly worried because it is Barcelona. You know, it's it's not in the best uh, financial standing right now. But I would say that these signings are. Are, are positives. And, and also when you add in Danny Alves, which technically wasn't a part of this window, he came as a free agent, and also a Ferran Torres who came back in yeah, er, uh, earlier in the window, I'd say this was a really strong, uh, a really strong window over Barcelona as a whole. Yeah, well, you know, we kind of forget about that Fern, Fern Torres signing because it was so long ago, but, you know, questions of Triori, if they're going to, you know, have the financial purposes to fill that bio clause, whatever, Aubameyang, can give you, and I don't think he's going to be a long-term fix, but it seems that Torres and Adama are steps in the right direction. You know, Torres is a guy that can create time and time again, and Adama, so long as he can maintain his incredible physique, not to fanboy over him and, you know, his pace, he's a guy that's an asset no matter, no matter which league he plays, just because defenders, as we've seen time and time again with Wolverhampton, have a difficulty holding him off the ball or, you know, he's always dangerous to run in behind. But in the Premier League, we saw some interesting moves. First, you know, we talked about maybe Adama going to Spurs, but he declining that. Rodrigo Bentacur from Juventus, a midfielder, joins the hot Spurs this transfer window. And immediately when I thought saw that moving, I thought Conte is trying to find his next Jorginho or his next Ingolo Conte. Conte, Conte. I didn't want to repeat the same last name despite different spellings. But I saw that move of Bentecourt. And, you know, we think of that midfield for Spurs. And I think there's been a lot of questions going back to the Mourinho days, even to, you know, I'm obviously like this most recent, but like even with Mourinho, it really felt that there wasn't a stable holding mid. And I think Bentecourt gives that for Conte. And I think that's so important to his style of soccer, just because it's so, you know, possession dominate. And he does a really good job holding it down for Juventus. So I'm really curious to see how that's going to end up. Spurs is currently leading Southampton two to one as we record this podcast, but I'm really, really fascinated to see, Bentacor get injected into that Conte system because Spurs is in a position, we'll get it to it later when we're talking about the Premier League, but they're in a position where that, you know, third and fourth spot aren't determined. You know, Chelsea is slipping and, you know, is a boat, a boat with too many holes right now and just dropping points left, right, and center. So I really think that it's going to be interesting what Bentacor brings to Spurs and also, you know, I, I thought Conte getting introduced there, you know, we saw his brief run with Chelsea and then back to the Serie A. A signing like that makes me believe that Conte has both hands on the wheel and he's going to be at Tottenham for a while if he's going to bring in players that seemingly are perfect fits for his system. I, I, I really do like the Bentoncourt, uh, you know, um, signing because – for a long time, it felt like uh, Spurs have had a, like a, a missing piece in the midfield. I think uh, bringing in Pierre Hoybier, uh, he has been excellent. I think he's one of the more underrated midfielders in the league. But then they try to play in the, like a 5-2-3 uh, double pivot midfield, and it always seems like he's playing alone in there, whether it's you know Oliver Skip or um, sometimes it's Harry Winks, even Eric Dyer, although he's been playing mostly like a center back lately. Uh, it, I think this is – 
a perfect partnership uh, to, you know, not only facilitate, you know, covering the midfield, but moving the ball forward and being able to find your creative players like Lucas Mora and Son and Harry Kane, because that's where they have all their firepower. The strength in the squad lies in this front three with Harry Kane and Son Hyung Ming and uh, Lucas Mora. And the ability of bringing in another really, really strong midfielder, um, it, it's just going to do wonders for the side as they push for top four. Uh, I believe right now they're sixth. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Uh, no, they are sixth. Um, and yeah, Antonio Conte, one of the best managers in the world, one of the most name recognizable managers in the world. And I definitely think he's trying to implement his vision on this side. Uh, and he's doing so in a way that looks like the future is going to be built around it because Bentacor is not only just a great player, he's a great young player. Uh, I believe he's only 23 or 24 years old. He, you know, he's got a future here at this club. And that's exciting because we've seen Spurs players come and go, never really seen chemistry other than, you know, guys like Kane and Son and Hugo Lloris and a couple of defenders here and there. Um, but it's been a while for Spurs to have some stability, especially in midfield, and it's going to be exciting. Uh, don't forget, in addition to that, they also got another player from Juventus, uh, Dejan. I'm not going to try to pronounce that last name because I'm going to butcher it. But, you know, they also got that. It is currently a loan deal, but I believe that it will be permanent after uh, certain things are met. But I I'm going to go back to the point of you said of top four. Because right now, uh, Tottenham, w w uh, as long as they keep the lead against Southampton, they are sixth and level on points with United. And they've played two less games than United and one additional one to West Ham, who, who are in that fourth. So... You know, top four is definitely a, a huge possibility because right now, you know, they have the games in hand, and if they can perform to what Conte wants, and as and you know, and they definitely have the firepower for it. You know, this should be a very interesting top four battle. Yeah, I think for that Tottenham side, and we've seen since Pochettino left, really, and even while Pochettino was there, but you know, with his run of form, you know, almost winning a couple titles, I think it, the consistency was never a question as it has been since he left. You know. When you think of Conte, especially during his time in Chelsea, you really think of that consistency, which allowed that team to just be absolutely dominant in and out of possession. And every match day, it seemed like every time they took the field, they were always going to take some form of the points. Or if they weren't, they were going to lose, but respectfully lose. And, you know, when you look back at Tottenham performances over the years, you know, you think of the that United game where they get absolutely done in. I just think it's going to be a – an interesting change of pace, depending on how much, you know, leeway Conte is afforded. And I think if he gets this team to a top four, you can expect Tottenham to have an incredibly expensive summer transfer window, bringing in some depth into that midfield. Michael, you look like you got something you want to add there. Yeah, uh, it's almost as if Southampton heard us. Uh, they have equalized against Tottenham. It is now 2-2 in the 80th minute. 2-2 so. in the 80. Who's going to be the late uh -huh. hero? We've seen Mora do it time and time again. I don't know. But, you know, James, you brought up a good point about that kind of carousel of midfielders for Tottenham. And the one star boy, Deli Alley, was finally released to Everton. Just like, I don't want to say star boy, but, you know, another guy that wasn't seeing any playing time at his club in Donny van der Beek. You know, they moved to Frank... Lampard's Everton and they immediately lose 3-1 to this new this Newcastle team but that being said I think Lampard's got his work cut out for him with that Everton side just because I think that 
know, it's an old, old team, but I'm, you know, from an objective soccer standpoint, because Everton's obviously a rival of Liverpool, the rival of Liverpool, but, you know, I think they're too irrelevant as they're fighting a relegation battle currently. I'm really excited for the move of Deli Alley and Vanderbeek, just because we saw Deli, especially under Conte, really come into his own. And there were times where he looked like the Deli Alley of old. Remember that one key miss he had a couple match days ago where he was through on goal against Liverpool and somehow missed wide. But you know, that was a run you'd expect Deli Alley to make in 2016. And that was a run that he made in 2021. And then you add Donnie Vanderbeek, who, you know, we've been, we've talked about this time and time again throughout his tenure at United. He just couldn't find his way onto the team sheet, whatever reason that was. A phenomenally talented player. We saw it at Ajax. And then, you know, the little introductions he'd have at United, he showed flashes, but was just never afforded that afforded that leeway by whoever the boss was, whether it was Ole or Ragnarok. I really think that both these midfielders are going to have a resurgence at Everton. And I think they're going to become vital to saving this Everton, Everton team from relegation because they sit just outside the bottom three right now. And, you know, if you look at their lineup, they've got talent from the six on. It's just that back three. And I don't think Pickford's a good goalie. I just think that they're, they're going to be, you know, struggling to stay afloat. And I really like the signing of both Vanderbeek and Alley, not only for them, but also for Everton as a club trying to stay relevant within the Premier League. I feel like every year people talk about Everton, they always um, always note like one or two signings that they make during, you know, before the season starts to say, oh, they're going to be like mid-table, maybe pushing for Europa League around that range. And then they always, always underperform like – the, the, the talent that this team has should not be in 16th. Uh, they should be at least around mid-table. But, yeah, no, these are uh, – on the point of Van de Beek and, and Deli Ali, those are two positive moves that are at least going to help for the, for, till the end of the season. Um, Van de Beek, of course, I mean, everybody just feels bad for him. <laughs> He's been totally mistreated at United, way more talented than he gets credit for, at least – from the managers that he's been underneath. And as for Dele Alli, consistency has been an issue. We thought he was going to be the next greatest, great midfielder, the next Frank Lampard uh, for England. Uh, but that didn't really turn out the way it did. So this, yeah, it's a good move all around. I can't, I don't see why anybody would dislike either of these moves. Everton fans need something to uh, give them hope. Tottenham fans uh, should be fine with letting Dele Alli leave. United fans should be fine with letting Donny van de Beek get playing time. It seems like this is a good move all around. And I do think it will pay off in the end for Everton trying to avoid relegation, which I just, I still can't believe that this club always seems to make things worse than they can. Uh, and they should not be battling for relegation, but they are. And I do think they will stay up. Uh, and these two moves are going to help for sure. I completely agree with everything that you said. You know, obviously uh, it, it, it's a win-win for all parties, maybe except Manchester United, but I'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I honestly am excited to see um, what, it, it, when they make it to the starting 11, especially for Vanderbeek, because what, United paid 30 mil for him, if I'm not mistaken. And I can't even tell you the amount of times he, he he's played. Like, I, I don't think he has played, like, at all, which is, I mean, I know he has played once, but that just proves that, like, you know, he, he was... Uh, an up-and-coming talent, kind of like uh, Adeli in this case, and he's just been, he hasn't done anything. Uh, so I'm really excited to see um, how they both perform, especially uh, under Lampard. Yeah, and I think those were, you know, 
obviously the most significant moves in the Premier League. You know, you see teams like City that are unloading young guys and whatever it may be. Um, Liverpool get their hands on another midfielder, which is all well and good because I think with that team, that's where they lack depth the most in terms of creativity going forward. The only other move I want to focus on, and we can make this really quick just because it's honestly quite hilarious, is that Bayern is sending, or I guess Nicolas Sula is sending himself to Dortmund at the end of the season. Real quick, boys, before we hop into some Premier League talk, just reactions, because I always find it so funny when, you know, I guess it happens more often with Bayern and Dortmund than any other team. If you think about like Lewandowski, Goetze, all that good stuff of those two just kind of interchanging players or going rival to rival. I don't know what that means for Sula. Sula. I mean, obviously he'll start there, but Bayern is always the favorite in Germany. So maybe he's just looking for more money, but also I think with, you know, Bayern, I wouldn't be concerned with losing him. Yes. He's a great defender, but if there's the one team that Bayern, one thing that Bayern team knows how to do, it's defend. And I'm really not worried that losing him is going to, you know, completely uproot their defensive system. But I always just find it so funny when a guy jumps clubs that are, you know, a train right away. And, and not just a train right away, but a, a violent train right away because these two are bitter rivals. <laughs> I mean, it's, I feel like it's the Mats Hummels thing all over again. I don't know how many years ago that was. It seems relatively recent, maybe like 2019, where he, you know, he or 20, probably earlier than that, he was at Dortmund, went to Bayern, then went back to Dortmund for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, it's just a strange deal. It's funny. Um, I don't think it's going to affect um, Bayern in, in one way. They're going to win the Bundesliga. They're going to concede fewer goals than any other team and score more goals than any other team. And it's not going to be very close either. Uh, I think, though, Dortmund did it because I think Manuel Akanji might be on the move. Um, I don't know if he is officially going anywhere. I know there's been rumors circulating for a while now, for weeks, for him. Um, but I think every team's going to have cover in this, and it's just, it's just a laugh, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to agree. I mean, uh, from Byron's perspective, you know, one thing that I, I have noticed that they're good at is, um, is when they let people go, you know, they're very good at finding replacements. So something tells me that they're not going to miss this at all. Um, but, but, uh, but before we do move on to more Premier League, there is one more transfer that I want to mention that uh, I was very happy to hear about is Christian Eriksen back playing, especially after uh, we all know what happened during the Euros. He's playing for Brentford uh, on a six-month um uh, on a free deal and you know um i think that's a great move you know erickson we all know what a baller he was at tottenham you know he he was in the champions league final back in 2018 and you know especially after what happened uh i think we uh, i can say for everyone that you know we're all happy that he is uh, uh that he's playing soccer again yeah and you know especially with such a scary incident the biggest concern or biggest assumption was he'll never play soccer again i really like him being interjected into this uh, Brentford side, I've got him on my TV behind me as we're recording this. We're currently trailing City 2-0, and I've played City phenomenally well. It's just two mistakes in the back, one leading to a penalty, one leading to a turnover in their own, you know, 18-yard box, leading to the two City goals. You can't afford to give those up. But, yeah, Erickson, obviously a feel-good story because of what he went, to, went through. But also his, you know, arrival at Brentford, it's one of those experienced pieces that you're looking for, and I really think that it's going to, you know, bring into maybe a culture of stability for that Brentford side, just because I feel like time and time again with the Premier League, a newly promoted team, whether it was Sheffield a couple of years ago, Leeds a couple of years ago, 
And now this Brentford side, it's they're really good for their first season because no one really knows how they're going to play. And, you know, they change up tactics from the championship to the Premier League and, you know, play the top six hard and everyone's kind of got their eyes on them. And then the next season they fall off and get relegated. So I really think the introduction of Erickson, yes, it's only six months, but, you know, even if it's just six months and his contract isn't extended into next season, I think it's going to be, you know, pay dividends in terms of establishing a winning culture at that side, just because, you know, Michael, you mentioned it, you know, that Champions League final, obviously winning uh, the Serie A with Inter. I think it's a good signing through and through. And then obviously the feel good bonus on it, which, you know, maybe from a front office standpoint, you don't care about, but definitely from a fan standpoint, it's really nice to see that you're given a guy that was pretty much almost, you know, couldn't play soccer again. Who knew if, if he was going to live again, giving him a chance to go out and play the game that he loves. And he does it at such a high level. I saw a clip of him in training, absolutely, you know, dipping one into the bottom corner. And I was just like, yeah, that's the Christian Erickson that we expect to be out on the pitch. This all being said, boys, we've got a ton of Premier League going on. Michael, you were fortunate to catch two FA Cup games. I want to talk to you about that just in terms of the implications you saw as United gets bounced in pens and then City run rampant over Fulham. You know, Liverpool advances as well. My question is, Michael, that's it, that United loss. Because, I mean, the City win, I don't care enough about City. They just win too much for it to be, you know, that big of a concern. And I don't think anyone expected them to drop points to Fulham. But that United win, my thoughts was, you know, obviously you want to win because I think the FA Cup's a more winnable trophy than they're done with the Premier League, but they can still – technically win the Champions League it's not going to happen but was what was the sense around the ground after that loss was it relief that like hey now we can focus on the Champions League and the Premier League secure top four for next year or was it how how the hell are we losing this match well I mean that's a bit of a a tricky answer because we had the away stand right next to us so you know we had all the middle Middlesbrough fans you know just erupting in joy because you know they've pulled up they pulled, I think, one of the biggest upsets of this current FA campaign. Uh, but I would say that from a United fan, it was pure shock because if you saw the team that they put out, they put out basically their their strongest eleven. You had Ronaldo, uh, Fernandez, Sancho, Rashford. Like you, you had everyone. The only people that wouldn't start, I guess, would be De Gea. But you know, it's the FA Cup. You want to rotate all your goalkeepers. But I would say that it was it was pure shock. Um, you know, obviously, uh, throughout the game, you had Ronaldo miss the penalty. Uh, you had Bruno miss that open sitter in the second half. I still, to this day, don't know how he missed. I mean, he had the wide-open goal. Um, and then, you know, went to penalties. I-, I will say that after the full 90 minutes and when it started to go to extra time and when, we and when you know, the feeling was like, oh, we're going to go to penalties, uh, all of the fans around me started to get, you know, really nervous. And they were like, oh, if it's going to penalties, there's only one way that this can end. And it's with us being bounced out of the FA Cup. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, from their perspective, it was just disbelief. Like, how on earth have we how, how on earth have we dropped it? And, you know, I, I think that this could have been prevented. I mean, if you looked at United during the window, they, they signed away Martial, Vanderbeek. Um, you know, like, they had a lot of players. And then they also didn't uh, put Lingard on the bench or Cavani because they were coming back from breaks and stuff. So, uh, you know, this is something that they're going to regret uh, uh, for the rest of the season. Because let's be honest, they're not going to win the Champions League. Unless if, you know, they pull, somehow pull some magic uh, along the way. 
Yeah, and I think, Michael, you know, we are skeptical about United's chances to win the Champions League just because I think this entire calendar, you know, 2021-22 season, we haven't seen an ounce of consistent soccer from them. So, you know, in a, in a set like the Champions League where you have to win two legs or win across two legs, I just don't think that United has it within them to play consistent soccer week in and week out and battling that with, you know, the Premier League. And, uh, you know, we talked about the top four race still being alive. They're in fourth currently sitting six points. Yeah. Chelsea, fifth, excuse me, sitting five points back of West Ham. And, you know, it's just, it's just going to be tough for them to play consistent soccer throughout. And I think, you know, you saw that with that 11, that was pretty much their top 11. Um, again, in that FA Cup match that you'd expect that team to go out and get a victory. And just because, and the fact that they can't, you know, missing easy chances, just emphatic of what this season has been for United. That being and said. about the Burnley match, because they drew 1-1 yesterday. So those were more, more points dropped, and that's why they fell out of the top four, because United beat Watford 1-0, I want to say. So, you know, they're just dropping all these chances. And, you know, the way that this is going, I – I wouldn't be shocked if they don't make the Champions League next year. Uh, you know, and and I and I don't want to see that. I, I don't want to see Ronaldo playing the Europa League. You know, he should be playing in the Champions League. But I mean, it's like you said, this team has has no consistency. I mean, if you can't beat the twentieth place in the Premier League, who who only have one win and now have eleven draws, there's something wrong. Like it, there's just something wrong at, at the club. James, you're a United fan, right? Talk us through this. Talk us through this suffering, especially that 1-1 draw to Burnley yesterday. I, I mean, there's no other way to say it other than for these past 10 years since the departure of Sir Alex Ferguson, the club has lost basically its whole identity. Um, and that's not to say that they've had no success. I mean, they won FA Cups, Europa Leagues, Community Shields, for whatever that's worth. Um, they, you know, they've had, they haven't won a trophy since 2017, I don't believe, but uh, when they won the League Cup, but um, they 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 just don't know who they are at this moment. And I know that sounds sort of like pretentious, and it sounds like it doesn't mean a lot. But you look at the talent on this team, and you look at who the manager is. Ralph Ranick is not a bad manager. He has a great philosophy. You know the Gagan press. I don't know if everyone's familiar with that, but the counter-pressing system, it's something that a lot of clubs have developed from him, and it's been incredibly successful across the world of football. That's why it's so beloved, and that's why Manchester United hired him. But the reason it hasn't worked yet is because he was a mid-season hire. I do believe if they stick with this and he is allowed to use the players and, you know, system that he wants to, it's going to take time, but I do think Man United will conform to what Ranić wants and will eventually be successful doing so. But the reason they haven't been successful the past 10 years to the level that they're used to being successful is because of just not knowing who they are. Uh, they've had good players come and go. They have one of the best players of all time in Cristiano Ronaldo at the club, and he just you know, hasn't scored a goal this calendar year yet. I mean, I know it's February 9th, but you know, that's significant when it's a guy like Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, it, it's tough for United fans at the moment, but again, just look at the table. You're still fourth. I know Spurs have games in hand. I know teams behind are starting to play well. Spurs actually just blew this game. They're, they just lost 3-2. They equalized the 93rd, and that was disallowed. So that's, I don't know, a crazy game there. But Manchester United have been a debacle, and they will continue to be a debacle probably for the rest of the season. It's, it's going to 
take time if they want to stick with Ranić. He is a very, very particular uh, manager. And players like Bruno Fernandez, Cristiano Ronaldo, Marcus Rashford, Paul Pogba, if those guys are even going to stay, I know Pogba, there's uh, that whole ordeal. There's too much drama at the club, and it's, it's, it's going to be about sticking with it for a long term. They, they haven't had a manager for more than, what, like three seasons since Ferguson left. It, it's, 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 not gonna get, it's only going to get worse before it gets better, but it probably will get better <laughs> relatively soon. Yeah, and, you know, I think the problem with United stems just directly into the cl- players they have at their club. And if they want success over time, I think, you know, you need a, a boss that's going to implement a system and get the players he needs to fill that system. Because you, uh, you're asking a lot if you expect Bruno Fernandes, who I've always hated. And, you know, you're asking him to press and counter-press the entire entire match. I don't think that's in his DNA. Ronaldo, you know, maybe once upon a time, but now – in his late age, you're asking a lot from him. Same with Cavani. So definitely some sorting out to do with United. But, you know, you look at that table, they're still in the thick of it, trying to get back into the Champions League. So they're still very much alive. You got Arsenal and Tottenham right behind United. Wolves wrapping up the top eight. You know, you go West Ham, Chelsea, Liverpool, City. City just clinched a win over Brentford 2-0. Liverpool goes tomorrow against Leicester. Just in this, these last couple of minutes, guys, it really looks like, you know, the two-horse race we're expecting, that we were expecting from the start of the year between Liverpool and City. As optimistic as I am of Liverpool, I don't think they can close this gap. You know, they play Leicester and then, you know, play Burnley, but then, you know, they still have to play a lot of the big six in the second half of this season. I just don't know if Liverpool has the legs to continue, you know, and keep pace with City, especially as they play FA Cup, especially as they play um, Champions League. Michael, you're also a Liverpool guy. I don't think they're winning the league. Maybe they'll win the Champions League, make us all happy, but I just don't see the league in their future. Yeah, I mean, obviously they are 12 points, if I'm doing the math right, you know, they're 12 points behind. However, I am going to be a bit optimistic. They do have games in hand. That That is what I will say. And City, right now, they have an easy schedule, but then they go against Man, you know, they go against Tottenham, United, and they also have, like, the Champions League uh, during mid to late February and early March. So maybe that could be where it is. But, I mean, based on how City have been performing ever since Pep took over, I would find it very hard that even if Liverpool win both their games in hand, so then it's it's a six-point gap. I, I I just don't maybe see it happening. Um, I, I will say that uh, I'm very confident that Liverpool win, will win a trophy, um, either in Champions League, Carabao, or FA Cup, because they got the Carabao final against Chelsea, um, what, in like a couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken? I was going to try to go to that, but that ticket process was a nightmare, to say the least. But, um, yeah, I mean, I... I think it's just, you know, way too many draws at the beginning. You know, you drew against City, Chelsea, um, and, you know, every every other team in existence, it seemed like. But, um, I mean, James, James, I'm going to ask you, what's your take? Do you think uh, Liverpool can maybe catch up and make it more interesting? Or do you think City have this over, time to focus on the cup competitions? And, you know, because Liverpool will get top four, let's be honest, unless there's some colossal thing happens, they, they will I- get top four. Not I, I think, I think it's guaranteed Liverpool get top two at this point. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't, I hate this as United fan. Liverpool City, Liverpool City every year now. 
it is what it is. But I, I'm, if I'm a Liverpool fan, I am optimistic. I don't, I'm obviously, I'm worried that, you know, we have two games in hand down 12, I, 12 points. That is, I do think that they can cover ground. Uh, you know, we saw it a couple of weeks ago, city dropped points to Southampton. Um, and Southampton, like, they're, they're playing some great football right now. You see, like, beating Spurs, drawing City. But that's besides the point. I do think, you know, eventually, I believe it's um, in six or so matches, Liverpool play City. Uh, if yeah. Liverpool can take all three points in that, they'll be within three, assuming they win the games that they have mm-hmm. uh, in hand. Um, that, that's the turning point of the entire season right there for both these teams for the entire title race. If Liverpool can be, continue to win, and then beat City in that match, they'll be within one. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be, I mean, that's going to, it's going to come down to those last six matches after that. And Liverpool are going to have to be sharp. And with, you know, players coming back from injury, Luis Diaz signing, which we didn't really talk about. Um, mm-hmm. That's a terrific signing. He is so underrated. Amazing player. Fits perfectly into Klopp's system. I think. Yeah, he's just against Cardiff uh, yeah. uh, over the weekend, which was, I, I think, great, you know. Yeah, no, and, you know, you plug him right into the fold and he performs already. It, it's going to come down to the wire. I know 12 points seems like a lot now. That's gonna, that number is going to continue to shrink once Liverpool gets their games back in hand. And when Liverpool plays City, I believe that game is at Anfield, if I'm – No, 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 no. The first the one was at Anfield. Uh, it's at the Etihad. Etihad. Mm-hmm. Um, well, either way, it's going to be a dogfight. That first match was probably the best match in the Prem all season. Um, it should be exciting one way or the other. I do think it's going to get really, really close. It's going to come down to the last few match days for sure. Now, yeah. one thing uh, before uh, uh, sorry, sorry, Kenya, uh, before we uh, wrap it up, I just want to say how happy I am that we recorded this right now because I'm going to be honest, I was tempted to go. Uh, I'm going to change topics now. I'm, I was tempted to go to the Tottenham match. Very happy I didn't because, you know, I, I didn't think I want I, I didn't think I want to sit through that. However, I am planning on going uh, to the Tottenham Wolves game. So hopefully... Tottenham can beat Wolves, and I can make Alex hear about this for the rest of our time here. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I've got two points before we wrap. First, on the note of Liverpool, guys, I think extremely well said. The only thing I have to say is, you know, Michael, you're talking them to drawing to everyone. Some of those draws were ones you can't be drawing to. Is, you know, you look at that game against Brentford, I mean, who played you really well, but that's a game that you really need to, really need to win, and especially now it's even more em- emphasized that you should have won. But that being said, if I'm Liverpool, if I'm Klopp, I'm just saying one game at a time, boys, because we, if you just chase points, you're never going to close it. But if you just take each match at a time, not worried about what City puts up, knowing that you get them later on in the season, I'm sure that gap will close. And, you know, we were just singing Conte's praises about, you know, maybe turning Tottenham around. They go and drop points to Southampton. I'm still optimistic. We talked about it, you know, for the duration of us talking Premier League is that that fourth spot is so elusive right now and it's you know pretty much in any team from I would say four to seven any one of those teams whether it be West Ham United Spurs or Arsenal I'd say any of four of those teams have a realistic chance of squeezing into the Champions League next year and you know with the run of form Chelsea's had how secure is that third spot I wouldn't be surprised if they get chased down and the pressure starts to heat up on them so, you know, the same thing can be applied to Conte. I mean, in a different sense than Klopp because he's not chasing a championship and he's fresh, but he just I'm sure that he knows that he just needs to give his system time and results will start coming his way. That's going to do it, guys. Always, always so fun when we talk soccer. You know, I'm always excited when, you know, the club level picks back up after an international break, especially with the United States men's national team. 
continually just being a disappointment upon a disappointment and Greg Berhalter making me want to rip my hair out anytime he gets on a microphone. Yep. And emphasize James's thumbs down there, but it's always nice getting club level back underway. I think the second half of the premier league and then, you know, the champions league starting up very soon. I think we're going to have some of the best soccer that we've seen in a long time. And always, you know, with the backdrop of COVID, it's just so nice that soccer is returning to, I want to say practically normalcy. And, you know, I'm really excited for those champions league knockouts just because I know home, home and away goals are done away with, but those environments, you know, traveling across Europe, going to a completely new country and dealing with their fans is just one of a kind. And then obviously you go from the South coast up to the Northern parts of England you just get all types of walks of life that come into the stadium, as I'm sure you've seen, Michael, and just really add to that atmosphere. That all being said, fantastic episode, guys. Michael, I believe you're on a five-hour time difference, so it's close to... Yeah, it is quarter to ten over here. So, Michael, you need to get off the Zoom and go to sleep, but for <laughs> James Burley, myself, and Michael Hernandez, saying take care, guys. Enjoy all the Premier League has to offer, as well as the Bundesliga and La Liga. They're all on this weekend. Soccer's back. It's a Great time to be alive. Take care.